podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Premier League New Year's wish list. Hello and welcome to episode 22 of this season's Real Football Cast. And today there's a little tweak in the format. That's because I've been kind enough to give Carl and Drew a Christmas holiday. Yes, there's no slave labour here. However, there's no rest for the wicked either. And for yours truly, with so much football taking place, it would be silly not to talk all things Premier League. However, I'm not going to be looking back at the Boxing Day action. Instead, I'm going to be looking ahead to 2020. And with that in mind, it's time to offer up my Premier League New Year's wish list. I'd best do some social media bits first, otherwise we'll be talking into the abyss once more. So first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at DanTracy1983. And also, the podcast has its own account this season, which is at RealFootballPod. And if you want to become a shareholder, simply follow and join this very elite members club. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. And if you use that platform, then don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And also leave a review, so that helps me move up the league table. And if you're not a fan of all things Apple, you can find me on SoundCloud and Acast. While the easiest way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. As you should know by now, the Real Football Cast is sponsored by Loserpool. And what is Loserpool? I hear you ask. It's the company behind the game, Last Man Standing. One which is free to enter and the new prize pool once again stands at £1,000. If this has grabbed your interest, be sure to visit loserpool.com and create an account. The odds of winning are great, but they're even better if you sign up. Right then, it's time to go... Live And where shall we go first? Well, obviously, it's just the Premier League in this episode, as it was pretty much always. But we're going to go from top to bottom. And that means at the time of writing in the order of the league table, we're going to go through each team and their Premier League wishes. So for full disclosure, this is recorded before Wolves versus Manchester City. So in case they do go second Man City, I don't want people going, oh, you've got your order wrong. Like I have to have a break and relax myself at Christmas. So don't whinge too much. This is the order as when I've written the script. Anyway, now the, um, I guess the caveats, the terms and conditions are out of the way. Let's get stuck into it. So, although the presents may have been opened on December 25th, Premier League clubs don't really celebrate Christmas in the same way as you or I. And with so much football on the agenda over the next week or so, the opportunity for festive fun is very much marginalised. However, with a new decade on the horizon, each of the 20 clubs who compete in England's top division will be looking ahead and hoping that the objectives that they set out at the start of the season are then achieved by the middle of this coming May. That's because May will herald the end of the 2019-20 season, and only then will we know who will be doing the real celebrating and who will consider their campaign to be nothing short of abject failure. With that in mind, we've had a look into the crystal football and created our very own Premier League 2020 wish list. Just what will these clubs be hoping for at the start of a brand new year? Let's take a look then, shall we? Liverpool. Quite simply, for Jurgen Klopp's men, it's a case of making sure the job is done. And with such a healthy margin at the top of the Premier League table, it's going to have to take its biggest ever collapse for the Merseyside outfit to not win their first championship in 30 years. Now, the running joke is that next year is Liverpool's year. 2020 must be Liverpool's year. There's absolutely no doubt about that. I mean, you know, you look at Newcastle back in, what, 1996, and they let a 12-point gap go. You look even at Liverpool last season, they let a 7-slash-10-point gap, depending on games in hand and all that. I don't think Liverpool are going to primarily make the same mistakes as they did last season. You know, last season they were guilty of drawing too much. This season they've drawn once. So, you know, you look at what they've done in the first half of the season, you know, you can perhaps extrapolate that over the next half of the season. To do that, they would have won 36, drawn two. 
Now, that's going to be an absolute Herculean if, if they do that. If they go unbeaten, that's going to be absolutely incredible. I don't necessarily think that that's their primary objective. I think you know, that would be a nice bonus to winning the title, but I think they just need to make sure they get that bit done first. But it is really looking like Liverpool's year, isn't it? And I think I'd be absolutely astounded if that was not the case. Leicester now. And after suffering such a comprehensive defeat to Liverpool on Boxing Day, Brendan Rodgers' men will now focus on securing a top-four finish. And as long as Jamie Vardy stays fit, then they shouldn't have too many issues, as the returns of European football looks certainly likely. So, you know, you look at where they are. They have had a little stutter as of late. You know, they've not had the best form, but they did have a great run of form before that, you know, record-breaking run of wins. So... I guess it's sort of balancing out to a certain degree. But with the calibre of talent they've got amongst them, a young squad, a hungry squad, more importantly, Jamie Vardy looks evergreen. If they can keep him fit, like I say, then the top four finish should be absolutely fine. And a return to Champions League football, more importantly, should be on the agenda. So this has been a fantastic season for Leicester already. It's now making sure they can do their own job and make sure they get over the line themselves. Manchester City, it does look like it's Champions League or bust now for Pep Guardiola and his players. And with that being the case, you wonder if the second half of this domestic campaign is going to see them go through the motions somewhat. You know, they can only keep winning matches, but when Liverpool keep winning matches, they can't get into that gap and just make it erode by any sort of margin, which is, I guess, the, the real bugbear, the real point of frustration for the Etihad outfit. However, you know, they have won the last two in terms of league titles, not just matches, but if three was always going to be a big ask, not impossible, but you do wonder to a certain degree if this Man City seat this Man City side, sorry, is running to the end of its cycle. That's probably not fully true, but there are certain players that are sort of eking out their last miles. David Silva, he's off in the summer. If you believe the Rio Mares slip on a Sky Sports interview, that maybe Fernandinho is also off in the summer. That's sort of like not widely um, announced, but the undergoing belief within the club. So that's going to be a huge miss. And, you know, they've already failed to replace company. Aguero... Could probably easily do another couple of seasons, but father time will get him eventually. So I think this might be the sweet spot for City to sort of go and try and put all their eggs in the Champions League basket. That said, they do need to make sure that uh, a top four insurance policy is activated. They can't just go, oh, it's fine, you know, we're just going to not bother at all. They need to make sure they get in the top four and at least have a backup plan. Should they not win the Champions League, they need to still be in the Champions League next season. So I don't think they're going to be chucking games or downing tools, but... There's no doubt that the Champions League is their primary concern for the turn of the year. Chelsea, indifferent at home, incredible away. That is the simple equation for Chelsea at the moment. And although the Blues do look like genuine top four contenders, they're going to have to improve in front of their own fans and in double quick time because their rivals are ready to pounce. 12 points was the gap when Lampard and Mourinho were both installed. You know, Lampard was already in the job, but when Mourinho was installed, that was a 12-point buffer. It got eroded to three, and everyone thought, as a Tottenham fan, especially me, like, yes, this is it, we'll beat Chelsea, and we'll be singing pretty, and we'll be fourth for Christmas. That wasn't the case, that was far from the case, because we were abject in defeat against Chelsea. But, you know, football is a very strange mistress, and after going to six points, it's now back to three at the time of recording. So, still a lot can happen. Um, So, yeah, you know, Chelsea, they are looking very, very good away from home, but that strategy... He's going to get you in the end. You can't keep just relying on away wins. You are going to have to stop winning at home. And especially if Tottenham can get their house in order. So we go to Tottenham now and, you know, you look at them against Brighton. They weren't great, but they got a win. That's going to be the important thing now. I think the honeymoon period is over for Tottenham. You know, we've had this sort of dalliance of swashbuckling football and 
big wins and you know throwing caution to the wind and eking out results where you think oh that wouldn't have happened a few weeks ago or a month or so ago however now pragmatism I think might have to be the order of the day that's not to sort of risk uh, or curtail attacking football but I think this is where we're going to see Mourinho really earn his money I think with the gap now being back to three points if you go to Saturday Tottenham play a day before Chelsea on the Sunday that's every chance Tottenham could be in the top four by then then there's the, every chance that Arsenal could do Tottenham in inverted favour by getting the better or at least taking points off of Chelsea. You know, that might be wishful thinking when we look at Arsenal at the moment. But, you know, I think ultimately the objective there for Tottenham has been set. You know, you're looking at a three-point margin with half a season to go. Whether Tottenham spend in January, I don't know. I'm not sort of banking on that myself. There is a criticism that we don't have the squad to compete for a top-four place. I don't necessarily buy into that either. I think we do have it. Um, I don't think we're perfect far from that, but I still think there's certainly enough in the tank to get um, fourth, and especially with the margin being so slim. Um, I think lessons will have been learnt from the defeat to Chelsea, it's even lessons learnt against, um, in the win against Brighton, because I think we're far from perfect there. So I think, you know, game on really, knuckle down, 19 games to go, let's see what happens come May. But I personally would put Tottenham in the box seat, bias very much included. Right, Sheffield United, Chris Wilder's men have been the absolute revelation of this Premier League season. And the question now is whether they settle for a highly impressive top half finish or try and crack the Europa League glass ceiling above them. Now, you know, with the way they've been playing as of late, or even this season, I think it'd be unfair to say as of late, you know, it's no no fluke after 19 games. You sort of think to yourself, right, they're here to stick about. They could have a an absolute dramatically awful second half of the season, but I think even with that, they've got enough in the tank from part one to get by the line. So I don't think like relegation or anything like that is a concern or an issue. They can't be sort of blasé about it and just be like, okay, well, everything's absolutely fine. They've still got a job to do. But the job, I guess, has changed. Now, if you're a Blades fan, are you sort of pushing for the moon? Are you thinking, well, you know, why not? That might be tempered with the fact that, oh, you know, if we get into Europe next season, then it's going to make life even harder next season because have we got a squad to compete on multiple fronts and all this? And you have to look at, say, Burnley and how they really um, struggled in that sort of first couple of months when they were having a dalliance in Europe that went as far as like Aberdeen and Olympiakos, so not like the greatest European tour, but you sort of get the concerns of what could happen. That said, football fans need to sort of live in the moment. That's not just from a sort of vlogging point of view, but you know, think, don't worry about next season. A lot can still happen or a lot can change dramatically thereafter. So why not just enjoy what we've got? And if we get Europa League and it doesn't quite work next season, that's just, I guess, a byproduct. And we'll worry about that then. So I think really United just keep doing what they're doing and I think they'll be absolutely fine so whether they can finish 6th or 7th I don't know it's a tough one you know they have got the results in the bank but you do wonder how much more Chris Wilder can keep pushing but if he can keep pushing them there is every chance they could be part of that conversation now I mentioned United a bit of a Freudian slip because really that sort of terminology comes with Manchester United and if you're going to ask the same question about um, you know, would you just swap a top half finish for the Europa League, but swap Sheffield for Manchester? And I don't think the Europa League is enough for the Red Devils. However, their inconsistency is going to be probably their undoing if they really want to be sort of in that top four bracket. If they want to be part of that conversation, you know, they're, they're a bit of a logjam. They've got Sheffield United in the way. They need to clear that hurdle. And if they can turn on results and performances like the one against Newcastle, then they'd be in a better position. But you do feel it's always fits and starts. Like we've been guilty on this show a number of times by saying. Um, that, oh, United have turned the corner. Two wins in a row. Ollie's back, you know, he's got them driving all this and then they'll go and slip up or they'll draw or they'll they'll just not be quite 
as ruthless or as efficient as they need to have been. You do wonder if that's going to be the sort of thing that stops them knocking on the top four door. However, that said, the results at the moment, they've not really um, done anything to add pressure to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He's almost gone quite quiet. Maybe that's too quiet. I mean, a bit of a concern, but maybe there's a belief that he's the right man for now. Maybe a belief that there's no real logical candidate to bring in, so let's just sort of keep things rolling, um, give him a few more games. But you're only really a couple of defeats away in a row from the knives being sharpened. So United are sort of a, almost a seesaw, like a balancing act, really. And I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, as of right now, is fine, but you don't know what's around the corner for them in January. So I think for them, it's really Europa League. Um, I don't think Champions League is going to be them for this season. But a young squad, it's all about experience. So if they can just keep going in the right direction, you don't know what will be sort of further down the line. Wolves, and when talking about the Europa League, they're not just going to want to qualify for next season's edition. You know, why not win this current one? They are, you know, just on the fringe of the Europa League conversation in sort of league terms. But of course, they've got their their own carrot, really. And if they do win the Europa League, they'll parachute straight into the Champions League and continue their own rapid progress from sort of championship well, they were also rans really before the big takeover, and then Nuno came in, and the astronomic rise that keeps going. And the thing with Wolves now is that you know last season you did sort of get the feeling that you know oh these this is a team that plays very nice, neat, attractive football. The the kind of team that as a neutral you'd probably want to watch all the time. You know if they were on Sky Sports you'd be like yep yeah, I love some of that. However, if you're not necessarily neutral, if you're a fan of a top four slash top six club, you have to be wary of the Wolves now because they're hungry if you'll pardon the pun, for more. You know, they're not just going to settle for, you know, just being on the fringes of European football each season. They're going to be right. You know, our building blocks are getting more and more in place. And soon, they're going to dispose of more and more top four clubs. You know, you look at Arsenal at the moment. We'll get to them in a bit. But, you know, they're mid-table. Wolves are already better than them. It's like they've chalked that one off. Manchester United are in their, their headlights now. If Tottenham don't sort of sort out their own sort of form, then there's no reason why that can't be something that could be an interesting battle. You know, it might be that Tottenham slip away and Wolves go for them for a battle for fifth or sixth. You don't really know. But personally, I think that's not going to be the case. I think Tottenham will have a little bit more. But that said, I think going back to the sort of the main crux of Wolves, if they do get into the Champions League by winning the Europa League, then they are going to be a real sort of rival for the sort of the established elite. And all of a sudden, that conversation of who's going to be in the top four becomes even more congested. And I think that's going to probably bloody the nose of the... Uh, of the current establishment. But it's good though. It's good for football. You know, we've seen it with Leicester this season. We need more of that really. You know, you look at the way that people go and they now mention statistics in the sense of the the believe big six or the the old big six. You know, that sort of whole terminology is almost rendered redundant really. So it's quite good that that house has been sort of cut down and we're getting new clubs sort of pushing their weights in the Premier League. So more, more of that really. But as long as Tottenham don't uh, feel the... The, uh, the ill effects of that, then I'm all for it. Crystal Palace now, and they've been impressive in fits and starts, but it's a lack of real consistency that stops them from being, I guess, considered genuine Europa League contenders. That said, they've only lost one of the last six at the time of recording. So if they do go on to secure a place in Europe next season, would that be the perfect time for Roy Hodgson to bow out? Arguably, you could say that even if they don't get to Europe next season, that would be the perfect time for Roy Hodgson to bow out. He's no spring chicken. He's not getting any younger. That said, he's doing a tremendous job this season, but you do wonder if Palace can ever push on further with him at the helm. You know, how much more can they can they do under Roy Hodgson? Um, do they need some form of succession planning? Obviously, they had a bit of a disaster with their former manager, that being Frank De Boer. However, Roy had sort of steadied the ship, 
got it rebuilt and actually bobbing along the surface quite nicely. If you'll pardon all the ship references now, let's move on. But um, yes, ultimately he's left them, well, or he will leave them whenever he does, which I'm going to imagine in a few months, in a better place than when he took over. And I think Palace fans will be certainly grateful for that. But I think they also have that acceptance that this really is probably the last few weeks and months of their current manager and a new era is on the horizon. The fear is that if they don't get it right, it could be another Frank Nabor Mark II. Newcastle now. And Steve Bruce may have not got the Newcastle fans chanting his name, but if he keeps up the overall level performance on Tyneside, and I guess a begrudging cheer may ring out at St James's Park at the end of the season. Now, they were pretty abysmal against Manchester United. That was from their own doing, just defensive woe. I think you could just quite easily sum that up in just one microcosm there. They've been solid, not spectacular, far from spectacular. You know, you only have to sort of look at the fact that their defenders are scoring the majority of their goals. Um, I know Almiron scored finally, but still, you know, it's not a lot. If he can sort of build on that and add a few more, you know, half a dozen before the end of the season, then you would have thought that's a good second half of the season. That And that would probably match more his performances because I think a lot of criticism goes yeah but he's only scored once but he has put in more than a few shifts for Newcastle there's no doubt about that so he just needs his you know primary top line stats to match what his actual efficiency and work rate is on the pitch so you know with the Magpies what they're doing is working for now overall you know top half of the table just which is far higher than many people have imagined at the start of the season I think there was a oh Steve Bruce especially for Newcastle fans and like I say um they're not enamoured with him, but I think there is credit in the bank, and that's really important. And I think if they can just sort of get over the line this season, then you never know. You know, people might start warming to him, and you, you know, you might sort of actually see more of a sort of established Premier League club. Again, that also boils down to finance and how much Mike actually actually wants to drip feed through to uh, to any manager who's in charge. So there is an element of Bruce working with one arm behind his back, but to do what he's doing with that arm behind his back is not. Um, an easy task and I think he's doing it quite well so I think you know it's been a, a pass so far for Newcastle they just need to make sure there's no actual disaster in the second half of the season and I think if they can get top half or you know anything in the say top 13 that would be a job well done Arsenal now and it's just incredible that they are the 11th team on this list just blows your mind really but with Arteta taking the Arsenal reins the Gunners languishing in mid-table you get the feeling this is going to be very much a work in progress that is, if the fans allow him the time to actually do the job in hand. Now, you know, there's no doubt the Emirates can be a very, very toxic atmosphere. I don't really want to go into the Arsenal fan TV or whatever they're called these days and how that sort of ties into it because I think that's almost a bit of an out for the board, really, you know, to try to go, it's them, it's their fault. Whether you like Arsenal fan TV or whatever they're called, um, AFT, I don't know. But um, whether you like them or not is really irrelevant. You know, the, the crux of the matter is Arsenal are not a good team this season. Um, they are bang average, and that's just not me from a Tottenham point of view in my ivory tower, but they are bang average because they're in the middle of the table. You know, the table's not lying at this point of the season. It's not going to take that much to get things turned round. You know, there's a nucleus of players there that can, when they want to, pull the finger out and turn in a performance. There's not as many as they'd like, perhaps. There's a lot of dirt that needs to be shown the exit door. So it's probably going to take a few windows. But with the table being as it is, you know, Arsenal could turn this around quite quickly in terms of finishing 6th or 7th. Whether that's actually relative success for them, whether they actually need a complete season away, like they need an actual bust, like how Chelsea did a few seasons back when they, after winning the league, then finished sort of 10th or something. Maybe they need one of those to really let the board wake up. And then you finally 
have the ball woken up and think, right, this is actually costing us money, they might actually then start pumping some more money in and turning the ship around quicker. Because if you're just about hitting your objectives or, you know, finishing in Europa League, you think, okay, well, you know, it's not as much money, but it's still a lot of money coming into the coffers. That's not really going to sort of jolt the board. I think it nearly almost needs sort of shock on all, really. So if, if Arsenal finish sort of ninth, whisper it quietly, that might actually be something that works out better for them in the long run. Burnley next. And Burnley, I guess they're a team that never really get a real string of results together. You never go, oh, wow, Burnley won six in a row or Burnley are unbeaten in eight. Like, they're never going to blow you away. That said, they do more than enough to keep their heads above water. And recently, they are swimming with the tide. There's no doubt about that. You know, they're sort of where they are, 12. There's no real sort of concerns. There's no real, um, oh, no, we're going to get dragged into a relegation battle. Like, you just, you always feel Burnley have got enough about them. You know, they might lose two, but then they'll win two. Like, they just... They seem to balance themselves out. And I think the fact they are 12th almost is testament to their sort of topsy-survey set of results. You know, there's never a real dramatic six six losses in a row calling for Deitch's heads. I think they're arguably one of the most solid, safest clubs in the Premier League. Obviously, you know, if you're sort of higher up the table, you're much safer. But you look at the the traditional relegation candidates and Burnley are never really sort of part of that. You know, they might just be above the pre- precipice and all that. And I think Burnley will be fine this season. I think, like I say, they may lose a couple, but they'll quite easily bounce back and win a couple. And they'll just keep flip-flopping us to sort of anywhere between 11th, 14th. Anywhere in this section coming into the season will be another job well done for the Husky, Sean Dyche. Everton now. And when taking charge of the club, Carlo Ancelotti stated that the Champions League is a possibility for the Toffees. Now, I think the former Chelsea manager has hit the eggnog early because that is a bit ludicrous. I don't think in fairness he was saying it about this season... But I think even in the next sort of couple of years, that's probably wishful thinking. That said, you can't just go, yeah, I've taken the reins. I think we're going to finish 15th. Like, you need to sort of, I guess, build up the fan base, get them on the side. Um, but I've just, I think, you know, the goalposts and the landscape of the Premier League has just changed too much. I think, you know, you look at Leicester, you look at Wolves. They're the kind of clubs that have taken Everton's place of trying to bloody the nose of the big six. And I think Everton have got a lot of work to, to be done if they're ever going to be sort of part of that, that group. I think, you know, there may be, that ship might have just sailed. Um, they have got a good set of players, no doubt about that. And on their day, they can be a handful. Unfortunately, that day is too much few and far between. And although Everton, you know, I think the season is a write-off, there's no doubt they've got a huge managerial coup in the appointment of Ancelotti. And I think the best thing he can hope for, or look to do, is a sort of Brendan Rodgers-esque, almost like elongated pre-season. Use these five months to sort of work out and identify what you want and what you don't want, and then try and hit the ground running next season. If they can do that, then you never quite know what might be on the horizon for Everton. That's the only sort of logical thing I can think of, really, because the season is a write-off in all intents and purposes. They might get lucky, well, actually, it'd be unfair to say lucky, but they might be Liverpool in the FA Cup at the start of uh, 2020, and who knows, they might get a cup run going. However, that might be the sort of the small bonus to their season or the you know a bit of a bit of light after a bit of a dark period beforehand you know, there's no reason why they couldn't go for a cup they might just put all their eggs in that in that basket but with the Premier League being the, the the beast that it is and the revenues that have to be associated with that there's also that risky strategy if we just go for the cup with a team being in that position as they are then you know their league form could completely dissipate so I think for Everton it's literally just a case of doing their best in the Premier League results not overly important as long as they're in and around where they are top half maybe the sort of the first objective, but really, Franchelotti, it's a case of right, just working out how to clear the decks, what's needed, what I need to target in the summer, and hopefully they can be better and stronger next time around. 
Southampton now, and the Saints have found something of a swagger as of late. And if Ralph Hasenhutl can bottle this positive momentum and harness it, then the Saints are going to put further daylight between themselves and the bottom three. A fantastic win over Chelsea. That meant back-to-back wins, and they played with such a, a confidence and a, you know, almost a, a release of a burden because they were looking shell-shocked after playing against Leicester. You thought, this is a team in a real crisis. You almost felt that the manager was dead man walking. But to his credit, he has turned things around bit by bit. Southampton are improving with each week and results are now starting to to highlight that as well. They've had a relatively easy run of fixtures. That sort of played into why they're getting points on the board. So they are going to have some tough ones on the horizon. But if they can sort of use this positive momentum to go into those bigger fixtures or those more difficult fixtures, then they might just have half a chance of getting further points. That said, there's a big caveat that is attached to that and that is keeping Danny Ings fit. Admittedly, he has been, you know, healthy for quite a while now, but there's always the fear in your back of your mind that a hamstring could snap and that could be a real disaster for the Saints. I know he didn't play against Chelsea on Boxing Day, but that was to keep him fresh because I think Southampton probably felt that of all the games on the horizon, this is probably the game they won't get anything out of. So to to rest Ings, it was like a bit of a free hit and then the bonus of three points, fantastic. So obviously Ings will come back into the fold if he can stay fit and fire in the goals, then Southampton will give himself the best possible chance of staying up. Brighton now, and Graham Potter was awarded a contract extension, which is not the strangest thing, although a bit strange to have it in your first season in charge, which obviously signifies that the Brighton board are happy, or delighted almost, with what he's doing at the moment. They'll be even more delighted should he keep the Seagulls in the Premier League, which is not going to be easy, but you know it's fair to say, looking at where they are on the table, there are teams that have got a much more difficult task to do at the moment. They are glimpses of, you know, they're more capable of getting results. They do struggle away. That said, they did beat Arsenal recently, although is that really a barometer of quality? They gave Tottenham a bit of a bit of a fright, but the quality finally shone through for the North London outfit there. So I think, again, as with Brighton, it's always a case that their home form is going to be vital. It's going to be absolutely crucial for them to stay up in the Premier League this season, which... On the basis of their performances this season, you'd think they are going to be just about all right. It's going to be another of these seasons where they're probably just about safe. You know, they might sort of even finish 16th, 17th when you look at the final table. But that should be enough to keep, um, well, it will be enough to keep them in the Premier League. But it should be enough to keep Potter in a job. Because, you know, when uh, Chris Hutton finished 17th last season, he got the sack. So you do sort of wonder how one position, if they are the same, is fine for one manager and not fine for another. But I don't know. I'm not Tony Boone, the Brighton owner, and football is a very strange beast. Bournemouth now. And have the cherries become sour? If so, has Eddie Howe perhaps stayed in his job too long? Now, obviously, he's not just going to up sticks and leave for the sake of it. He's not going to go, Okay, well, the press and everyone has said I'm in the job for too long. I have to leave or I'm just going to quit. You know, it doesn't work like that. But there is, I guess, a worry, a concern that with Bournemouth as they are and him having one of the longest Premier League tenors at the moment, him and Sean Dyche are the two bastions of what you consider long service in this day and age. Is he getting itchy feet? You know, is he thinking, oh, are these ships sailing? You know, should I have taken the Everton job? Should I have been circulated around that? At the same time, he has to make sure a relegation battle does not lower his own stock. Um, you know, he's obviously highly touted. He's one of these managers who's going to be great in the future. But at what point does the future become the now? Um, if he goes back into the championship then his opportunities will be marginalised, won't they? So he has to really sort of, I guess, sit down and think, right, how long should I stay here? Because I have to sort of think about what I'm going to be doing in the next five and ten years. He doesn't want to be known as the 
the I don't know the nice man of managerial football. He doesn't want to be known as sort of the nearly man or the man who should have got these jobs. Deep down, he's going to want to really be progressing his career. Now, that's not me putting sort of words in anyone's mouth and suggesting that Eddie Howe's definitely off at the end of the season. But you do wonder: Are we sort of starting to see the beginning of the end? And it might not be this season primarily; might be next season. But you do sort of wonder how much time Bournemouth and Howe are going to be working together as a partnership. West Ham now, and the Hammers are arguably the biggest surprise of this season. And when you consider their current league placing, that's nothing to be proud of, is it? Because, you know, should they lose to Bournemouth on New Year's Day, it might be a case that the iron gets a bit too hot and the knives are sharpened, and that's the last bit of official business for Manuel Pellegrini. There has been caveats and people have gone, oh, you know, they've had really uh, bad luck with goalkeepers and all this. And yes, that is an excuse, but how much of an excuse can you really put on one player alone? Surely it has to be more fundamental than that. You know, yes, Roberto was absolutely awful, but his defence weren't that much better. You know, as a sort of unit, they were absolute shambles. They've sort of changed things slightly with David Martin in goal, and Fabianski will be back in February, but I'd be surprised if Pellegrini's still in charge by the time Fabianski is back and fit. Um, it's going to be a real interesting few weeks for West Ham because they're just not getting anything in the way of results, really. I think it's becoming... A bit of a burden for the uh, the East Londoners. How much more have they got in the tank under Pellegrini? All is not well. You see Mark Noble almost sort of trying to beat up his own own players. I don't know. I fear for them. I think they could be the big casualty of this season. If that is to be the case, then it's going to be either one of the three teams in the bottom at the moment getting above water. And is it going to be Aston Villa? Because the Birmingham outfit, they spent big in the off-season, didn't they? You know, there was criticisms that they're going to be another Fulham. And at the start of the season, it was like... Well, actually, no, they're doing all right. Maybe they're not going to be like another Fulham. They're going to spend over £100 million, but be all right. They'll be a, you know, comfortably mid-table, play some nice football, they'll be fine. That's not happening anymore because of their sizeable expenditure, it's fair to say that they have sort of returned success in varying degrees. You know, they've bought so many players, you almost sort of forget who's new, who's not, who's actually come in and done a good job. Like Wesley's not really sort of lived up to his transfer fee. Tyrone Mings was on loan last season, then bought permanently. He's been a positive you know, there's, there's too long a list and not enough time to run down the, the pluses and the minuses of Aston Villa's um, summer spend. However, it does mean that manager Dean Smith is going to now have to decide whether to roll the transfer dice once again. Does he pump even more money into the into the, the uh, into the squad? That's not really his decision, though, is it? I mean, the board might say, do you know what? We've given you hundreds. We can't really gamble and say here's another 50 because if they go back to the EFL Championship, that's going to be an absolute financial... Well, it's almost suicide pill to swallow, isn't it? Because they've already been in financial trouble over the last sort of years. And you do wonder if they're going to sort of think, well, we actually, we've just got out of that mire. Do we want to go back into it? Then again, on the flip side of that, then there is the pursuit of riches that comes with the Premier League. And they might just think, well, let's just go another 50 million. Why not? We're already in the hole. Let's just pump it. And if we stay up, then it's going to be the justified extra expenditure isn't it you know that's going to be the gamble they'll have to weigh up and well you don't know really because where they are you think well actually they might just have enough in their squad anyway but results are going against them does Dean Smith knock on the chairman's door and say look I need two or three more we'll have to wait and see when the window opens Watford now could the great escape finally be underway it does seem that Nigel Pearson has managed to do what Kike Sanchez Flores failed and that is to install a new manager bounce however the former Leicester boss is going to have to make sure that uplift continues into well, well into the new year. It's no good to sort of get into the middle of January and saying, "Yep, you know, we've got nine, ten points on the board since I've come here." You know, 
Now they need to be grinding out results every week. There's no dead games for them. They've had such a bad start to the season that they are playing catch-up. And yes, they've got up a little bit because they're off the bottom of the table, but they can't rest on their laurels. You know, this is going to be... Well, you know, every game's a must-win wherever you are, but the importance for Watford, you know, like I say, they just can't really have any more off days. They are going to have off days, admittedly, but they need to make sure they are much less than what they were in the first half of the season. Two, three weeks ago, I would have said, you know, Watford, this is an awful appointment. You know, at the moment, I've got a bit of egg on my face because they are getting points and they are starting to sort of slowly get their house in order. But it's depending on what they can do in February and March. We'll have to wait and see. You know, I can't see further down the line, but it's it's going right for Watford at the moment. It's not going right for Norwich, though. They're bottom of the table and there's no doubt the Canaries have been easy on the eye this season, although it's being easy in defence, which has proved to be their undoing. I think, really, you've got to give them credit for their gung-ho approach this season. But you do wonder if that is going to ultimately end up consigning them to relegation at the same time. I think, really, realistically, it will be. I mean, let's be honest, we've seen far worse teams stink out the Premier League. I mean, let's say Huddersfield last season, um, Fulham, only because they're freshest in the memory. Sorry, Matthew Baldwin, if you're listening. But um, Derby, 2008, the worst, stinkiest team in the in the lot. Uh, Swindon, 1994. If you can go back that... Um, that far, they can see over 100 goals. So yeah, there's been far worse teams that will get relegated. And if Norwich do go down, there's no real shame in that. But, you know, you do wonder if pragmatism could have been a bit more prevalent at times with the Canaries. But then again, I guess you've got to admire the way they're sort of going for it. You know, Todd Cantwell, with, uh, with his celebrations, they need to be improved. If Norwich has to stay up, he needs to improve his goal celebrations. I think fundamentally, that is where the problem lies. Right then, that is it for 2019. Um, so yes, that's the wish list. What will come true at the end of the season? We might revisit it, or it might be such a disaster that we just forget this episode ever happened. I don't know. It's up to you. It's up to people's feedback. Um, so, yeah, leave me feedback if you want. It is Christmas. I don't mind if you don't. It is incredibly busy. I just want to reiterate what I said a week or so ago. Thank you to anyone who's listened, not just last season, but more importantly this season in 2019. The episodes are being churned out. The momentum, like any old football club, any good football club, I should say, is you know getting better week on week. And I just feel, you know, we're sort of hitting our stride now with uh, the duo or the trio that um, is now part of um, the Real Football Cast team. I guess the duo of guests. Carl and Drew, if you are listening, thanks for your work um, for 2019. I look forward to catching up with you in 2020. And also look forward to catching up to all my listeners in 2020 for the second half of the season, the busiest end of the season. And with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is the Real Football Cast in association with Loser Paul. And until next year... Goodbye. Sports Social Podcast Network.